iOS 10 is here, and you know this full well because I have been sending you lots of stickers. Yeah. It's great. It's, it is just what I feared. <laughs> it's brilliant, isn't it? I can send you stickers. I can cover up your disapproval with more stickers. Yeah, this is the thing I didn't quite realize is how terrible this can look because you can just keep piling stickers on top of other stickers and make it really look like garbage. No, that's the good thing because you can create like amazing images oh. by just putting more stickers over them. No, this is not this is not the amazing thing. What I'm hoping, Mike, is that this is a fad. Just like with other people I know who have installed iOS 10, it's the same thing like when the watch first came out that everybody's having fun sort of ironically or semi-ironically sending each other those watch emoji faces. I'm feeling like I hope this is a phase with iMessage where I'm getting messages sent with lasers right that don't require lasers at all and that everybody's just doing it because it's fun in the beginning. Uh, but you have rapidly stickered me out with all of your stickers. So I'm hoping this is a phase for you too and you'll you'll grow out of it. We've known each other for two years now. Have we? It takes about that sort of time, yeah. Hmm. Long time. We've been friends since I quit my job and that's that was about two years ago now oh yeah yeah that's right that would be the marker do you think i'm gonna get bored of this no what do you think no i really don't <laughs> in my heart of hearts i i don't think you're gonna get bored of this it may be a fad and people yeah. may get bored of it right. i will not get bored of it yeah i think that's what, that's what's gonna happen i think your rainbow stickers over my emoticon disapproval faces i think that's going to be a thing that happens forever there are disapproval faces stickers too yeah but i don't want a disapproval face sticker i want to do it old-fashioned with characters on a keyboard no because you can put your disapproval over the top of the message it is proving i'm going to keep handcrafting my emoticons as long as I'm alive. Oh, you do artisanal stickers, right? No, it's not a sticker. Handcrafted artisanal stickers. It's not a sticker. Not a sticker. You can send your disapproval with confetti. It's not, I don't think that's how that, that works. Mm. If, if I, the only thing, the only effect that I would want is if I could send disapproval faces that would just slowly drain all the color out of your screen. God, that'd be pretty good, actually. Yeah, that's that's the effect I want. You listening, Apple? That's what I want. I want to send a disapproval face that literally makes the phone of the other person kind of sad. How you feeling, Mike? I uh, I feel like I'm eight hours behind myself right now. And why is that? Because I came home from Portland yesterday. Ah, uh, the worst time zone in the world to come back from. Yep. How was the annual hipster con? It was really, really good. Yeah, um, yeah. I just spent the weekend, basically, all the week. I don't even know when it was. It was. Eight. Do you want to tell people what HipsterCon actually is, just for those yeah. <laughs> who might not be aware? Uh, I did this last year too. I went to the XOXO Festival mm -hmm. in Portland, Oregon. Of course. Um, tentatively named BenchCon because I effectively spent two or three days sitting on a bench under an umbrella, drinking coffee, eating food, and drinking IPA beers, and I had a great time. Oh, it does sound nice. It was actually really nice. I, I didn't really do anything. That There's two levels of pass that you can get for XOXO. One is conference, one is festival. Mm -hmm. Festival allows you into the area, and then they have events in the evenings that you can go to, mm -hmm. um, like arcade nights and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I did festival this time, so I just spent my day just outside playing board games with friends and stuff like that. 
So you couldn't even go to the actual conference if you wanted to. You you just bought the I want to hang around outside ticket. Exactly. I mean, this time for the first time, they kind of simulcast some of the talks into a couple of bars that were located in the venue. Mm-hmm. But you couldn't fit all the festival people in there because the bars were too small. So you just maybe I did that with one talk. And then the rest of the time just spent my time outside enjoying company. So is that what you were going there for? Is it kind of enjoy the people stroke networking event? Is that the value that you get out of XOXO? That was the original plan. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the What it ended up being was uh, Adina basically telling me to go because of everything that's been going on recently. She's like, you need to just get out of the house mm-hmm. for a few days and just go and spend some time with your friends and do nothing. Mm-hmm. Turns out buying a house is stressful. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think that came across last time. Uh, yeah, I think that definitely came across last time. I just took a vacation, basically. Mm-hmm. I only recorded one podcast for the whole like time of the festival. Wow. Yeah. That's that's like a 95% reduction in podcast recording for you. Exactly. So the festival, like I was there from like the Wednesday and then it ended on the Sunday and I just recorded one show during that time. Oh, and then one kind of like bonusy thing that wasn't really a show. We just ate some cereal and spoke about it. It wasn't really a, a real show. Was this top four? It yeah, sounds like it's top, top four. four. Yeah, it's top four. <laughs> yeah. Which podcast could they be eating cereal and talking about it? There's only one called because top four. one of the food trucks was cereal from a van, which was just a van, and then you could buy cereal from them. Mm-hmm. So I, I ate. We ate some cereal and. Maybe by the time this is out, this episode is out. If it is, it'll be in the show notes. There is a kind of a bonus top four where we did that and just ranked top four cereal of the six cereals that we bought. But I think the most interesting part of this trip, which relates to this show, is that the festival ended on Sunday, Mm -hmm. but I left on Tuesday evening. And I spent those two days, the Monday and Tuesday, having a graycation. Hey, I'm so I'm so proud of you. Where I worked for two days. Mm-hmm. So there was nobody. Everybody had left. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent basically two days in my hotel room with the occasional leaving of the hotel room to get supplies, mm-hmm. working and catching up. Um, I recorded two of my regular shows as well, one on Monday and one on Tuesday. So how did you find the experience of the vacation, of being separated from your normal life and kind of narrowing focus down to just like you, a hotel room, and the work that you need to catch up on. How did you find this? So I had two feelings about Mm -hmm. this. Very useful was feeling number one, and Mm -hmm. I'll come back to that. The second one, and I don't know if you feel this, um, maybe this would be uh, pulling away your armor a little bit too much. (laughs) Lonely. I felt very lonely. And I don't know if you oh would my dare to say Mike, that you feel this way. This is so sweet. This is so sweet of you, Mike, <laughs> because this is <laughs> this is one of these moments where it's sometimes so hard for people to understand other people. And when I do a graycation, the thing that is I have a very hard time explaining to other people is that one of the chief benefits that I get is I don't quite know how to describe this, but it's it's a bit it's a bit like feeling as though I'm the only person in the world. 
Right? Like I'm just I'm here. I'm just on my right. own. Yeah. I'm focused down. But when I say that, I mean it in a in like a very relaxing way. Like I don't have to as much as I can shut out the outside world. Like I don't have to focus on external things right now. I can just focus on internal things. And so it's like the opposite of of loneliness. Like if loneliness like, was an awesome feeling, maybe that's the way yeah. I feel when I do this. I mean, I understand that because I felt that way as well. Uh-huh. But I also had the feeling of missing my fiance. That was the that's the loneliness feeling. Mm-hmm. It's like I because most of the time I'm I'm on my own, right? But then I would see a dinner in the evening and right. not doing that, just being on my own for that entire period of time. I felt very like isolated in a weird way. Hmm. I mean, I see the benefit because I really, it was very useful, mm-hmm. but I felt the loneliness. I was ready to go home. Maybe hmm. the problem was that I'd already spent an X amount of days away, even though I was like having fun and enjoying myself. And then this right, was like right. the tail end of the trip. But even then, it wasn't as long as your mammoth Amsterdam trip that you took last time so maybe you just don't feel loneliness in the same way that i do well it's again it's a bit of an uh an opposite feeling like you feel the loneliness but there's a benefit of the loneliness no no you don't no? understand it all mike no i think i understand i'm just <laughs> trying to paint no, you, you as a human <laughs> you don't understand it all because the thing the thing that's hard that's also hard to explain is I think maybe the only time I experience a kind of what I what I think people mean by loneliness is actually sometimes <laughs> at conferences when I've been really overloaded with people interaction. The only time I ever can conceive what you humans refer to as loneliness. <laughs> I don't I don't mean it in in that in like in that way, but it's like I, d- I just I think you fail to understand what I'm trying to say because I can't. No, no. I th- okay, I think I do. I just think I'm doing a bad job of relaying it back to you. Mm-hmm. It's like when I say loneliness for me, it's that there's no one around, right? Right. Like it's just me here and you feel that feeling, but it's a different label. So you feel the feeling of it's just me here, there's no one around. But to right. you, that's a positive for, right. for achieving the goal. But <laughs> right. for me, I feel it's a negative in my life. Right. But I okay. still see the positive of achieving the goal, which is when I go back to the usefulness. So, like, I felt lonely, <laughs> but that loneliness helped me focus on getting what I needed done out of those, that, like, day and a half. Hmm. Because I, can't, I have come back from this trip, mm-hmm. and I don't feel the crippling behindness yes yes so i am busy the next few days because i've crammed some stuff in to thursday because Mm -hmm. tomorrow i'm basically i've got the day off and so i have to fit in maybe one extra show than i would normally do on a thursday Mm -hmm. but i don't feel like my email inbox is ready to blow (laughs) right and like just i got a bunch of other things done that and a couple of extra things than i would usually do whilst taking that day and a half and it was very relaxed i'm glad to hear that that you feel this way and it's it's interesting that you mentioned doing this while you were in portland because i happened to i, I did a funny thing this summer when i was traveling which was you know we, we did a whole bunch of travels and at the at the end of it my my wife and i were spending uh, several days in las vegas and then there was a question of like heading home and kind of getting back into the routine and getting back 
to work. But this was around the time that I was I was trying to get the traffic video out and, and ready to go. And I talked to my wife about our travels and, and essentially made the decision that I was going to do a a kind of graycation by actually staying in Las Vegas for a couple of extra days, but shifting my mindset from like, oh, I'm here on vacation and not doing anything to I am here now focused on on doing some work because I think it's it's the same thing of like, especially when you're traveling back and you're changing time zones, just being aware of when you go back, you're going to be really out of things for a little while. And I found it really beneficial to feel like I have made as much progress as I can in a couple of days on a thing that's due soon before I'm stepping on a plane and putting myself out of commission for a while. Like it's it's a feeling of getting ahead of the work before you before you head back. And it sounds like you did a similar thing with spending a couple extra days out there in Portland. Yeah, so like the thing is here like I know that when when you hear this it's you can see that all you're doing is displacing the work. But the thing is, when you're flying back from, especially from the West Coast, yeah, you've lost a day and a half. Yeah. So you have to catch up on that day and a half before you can even consider catching up on the work that would have been if you would have come home two days earlier. Exactly. So it exactly. has a compounding feeling. Mm-hmm. And by being completely up to date before you catch, get, catch the plane, even though it's still taken the, probably the same amount of time... It is the emotional reaction to seeing that 18 hours worth of work from all of the traveling mm-hmm. that when you don't then have to think about on top of all the other things you still have to do, it just feels way better. That's yeah. the way I came away from this. It's like, yeah, it's still the same amount of work, probably over the same amount of time, but your emotional feeling towards it is different because you come home with a cleaner slate. Exactly, exactly. And I think... Uh, this summer was the the second time I did this kind of like, I'm coming back from the West Coast, but let me try to do some work before I return thing. And I also found it hugely valuable, just psychologically, like you say. It's it's not like you're really gaining any extra time, but it, it changes the, the feeling upon arrival of, oh God, now I have all of this stuff to catch up on that that I'm behind on. Like just just trying to get ahead of it before you return. Because, again, returning from the West Coast is the worst. It's absolutely the worst coming yep. back to London. And so well, I think this is kind of interesting because whilst I consider, as many people do, the idea of a standard vacation completely unrealistic for most people, right, to just, like, pick up and go to Amsterdam for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Like, that, I'm sure you would agree, for the majority of people, is unrealistic. Oh, yeah, of course. But if you're going on a work trip, you know, or you're going to a conference... The idea of staying one extra day is not that much more unrealistic, right? No, no it's, 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 totally, it's a totally doable thing. And I, I also just want to specify, because I, I can't remember if I mentioned this on the show before, but my current graycations have grown out of a thing that I have done forever since, since having a job, which is doing what I used to call a, a hotel weekend of just like I'm really behind on a bunch of work or there's something I really want to focus on. And essentially, like when I would go into school, sometimes I would have a little suitcase with me. And it's because I was going to then spend like a like that night and a full Saturday in a different location, like at a hotel, 
just being able to separate from everything and kind of focus. And that's another way where it's like I f- could steal some time in a sense by by doing these like hotel weekends every once in a while, even when I was still um, still working as as a as a teacher. It's just that like now that I'm able to do it for longer stretches of time, I will. But I, if I was still working as a teacher, without a doubt, that would still be a habit that I would I would be doing to stay on top of stuff or to focus on big projects when necessary. So I would say, as long as you can overcome the crippling loneliness, <laughs> graycations are a good move. There's no crippling loneliness. This week's episode is brought to you by Hover. Finding the perfect domain name is ridiculously easy with Hover. They have over 400 domain extensions. All the classics like .com and .net, plus niche extensions like design and tech, and of course, the quirky ones that we all love to mention, .pizza, .ninja, .horse. I don't know if they have .mountains. Is .mountains a thing? I don't think it is. Anyway, when you have that idea for a domain name and you just want to grab it, you can do that super easily with Hover and they're going to have a domain name suffix for you. Once you get that domain, use Hover Connect to set up your domain automatically with your website in just a few clicks. No digging through help articles to figure out how to get it all working. Hover is just super simple. So to find that perfect domain name for you, and also the perfect suffix for your domain name, go to hover.com and use the promo code CARETECH at checkout to save 10% off your first purchase. That's CARETECH, C-A-R-E-T-E-X. 10% 10% off hover.com. Thanks to Hover for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. In the Reddit thread for the last episode, mm-hmm. many people thought that you were making some poor decisions with your dishwashing, <laughs> especially the fact that you could only fill half of it at a time. And that really, you were expending more energy filling and removing the dishwasher two times over. Than you were just washing the dishes. Uh, yeah, do people wash dishes? Like, do people understand what the process of washing a dish is? I don't understand how there can be a version of I lazily and and almost thoughtlessly throw a bunch of dishes into a robot that then cleans them. How how that how they can possibly think doing that twice? So, from my perspective, near zero effort multiplied by two. How that can be more effort than hand-washing all of the dishes, making sure they're all spotless, drying them, loading them in the drying rack, and then putting them back. Like, uh, this is is insanity. I just feel like people who are complaining about this, they don't understand washing dishes. Or they must wash their dishes very poorly. I can't imagine how how they think it's more effort to load a dishwasher and have the robot do work for you than to than to do it by hand like a 18th century peasant i don't understand i saw a couple of people like recommending washing up as you go along and <sighs> i don't subscribe to this that doesn't make any sense to me that makes me angry has anybody who does this ever cooked a meal like actually <laughs> cooked a meal <laughs> like by the time you're done with the washing up the, the food is cold like when you're you know cooking for two people and you have two pans and like a tray and a bunch of utensils to clean. It's just madness. No. Yeah, there's there's so many things that are wrong with this. I mean, look, I I don't cook. I don't I don't like to cook. I don't have any interest in learning really how to cook. But I do make one thing, which if I do say so for myself, is I make fantastic scrambled eggs. Right, and so sometimes on the weekends, like I make scrambled eggs for my wife and I. And that kind of cooking, especially with scrambled eggs, 
it's it's a matter of seconds. Like if if you have the scrambled eggs on the pan for thirty seconds too long, it's like oh no, it's it's not it's not perfect anymore. And it's the same thing of like getting it off the pan, getting it onto both plates, getting it into both of your mouths. Like if you don't eat it within minutes of of when it's done, like it's a terrible terrible experience. So yes, the going along as your as your cooking thing is insanity. It makes no sense. It's it's a terrible idea. And it also, it makes me mad because it goes against the whole idea of batch processing. Like, okay, look, if, if for some reason I had to wash my dishes, like we rewind to uh, what it would be like five years ago when we didn't have a dishwasher and I was really sad. It's like, but if you're the going along, it's batch processing is way more effective. Like I would rather, and I used to wait until it's like, okay, I have a the whole day's worth of dishes are here now. Now I'm just going to put in some headphones and I'm going to listen to a podcast and I'm going to wash the dishes. Like, But I'll do it all at once because this is a way more effective way to do it than every single time. Like people just don't don't think about the little the little transition costs when you're doing like a small thing every single time. And I also I'm going to be honest here. The people who say, oh, just do it as, as you go along. I don't think they do. I, I think I that don't believe that either. I don't yeah. think anybody does that. Yeah, I think nobody it's a lie. does that. Yeah, I think and it's a lie that people spread to make themselves look good. Yeah, they they feel good saying it. Like oh, how practical I am. Yeah, I'm I'm a fantastic person. And the reason I also hate it is because this falls into the category of solutions, which to me are all under the category of just try harder, right? And it's like yeah. I hate that. If your solution is just try harder or just be more careful. Go f*** yourself. Like, I'm not interested <laughs> in your solution. That's the worst solution ever. I don't want ever. you around here anymore. <laughs> exactly. It's like, why don't you just pay more attention to the thing that you do? Because that's not how civilization works. Like, that's not how progress is made, is by requiring people to pay more and more careful attention to tinier and tinier insignificant things. Because my problem with that is you've just spent a ton of work cooking something. Mm-hmm. Before you can enjoy it, do more work. Yeah, exactly. No. That is no. unacceptable. Yeah, that's why. My solution, throw the things in the dishwasher. It's like, it's like <laughs> I know this will just drive these people even crazier, but it's like, if you saw the way I loaded a dishwasher, I'm sure most of these people would just lose their minds. Because again, since I'm only loading the top because it is mildly inconvenient for me uh. to bend down to the bottom row, I will also just throw in a couple of the biggest things like if i've been cooking eggs it's like oh, okay great we have the frying pan we have three plates and it's full close go clean it robot and now we're now we're done like i don't even want to have to think about it so uh, not only do i use half the dishwasher i load the dishwasher in in the most inefficient way possible from the sense of how many dishes could you have gotten in this dishwasher but from the personally most efficient way, which is what's the least amount of effort I can expend to get these dishes done. That's the only right way to do it as far as I'm concerned. One argument that I was expecting, but we didn't get any of to what I saw, was people complaining about your effect on the environment. We didn't get any of those. I saw a couple of those. Oh, really? I didn't see any. Uh, maybe it was just on Twitter. I don't know what it was. But that's that's also like... I've also seen this thing in real life. If this ever comes up with people I know, <laughs> like, oh, how do you use this dishwasher? I don't understand. And again, it's 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 one of these things where people just focus on what they can see or think about. And so they think about the, the washing machine and they don't realize, as always with this stuff, that if you're hand washing dishes, you're using I've seen I've seen crazy numbers like it's 20 times more water when you're hand washing a dish than when you're doing yeah, the dishwasher. I, mean, I know how I wash dishes and I know I'm using more water than a dishwasher does. Yeah. 
the dishwasher we got has some cr- it's printed on the front it has it's some crazy low number for how much water it uses to to clean all of the dishes so it's like the it's like as usual the robot is way better at this than you can ever be petty human like you're not gonna there's no way you can use three drops of water and actually get it clean it's not gonna happen so uh but again even 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 if everybody's washing their dishes by hand versus using the dishwasher it still doesn't make any effect on the amount of domestic water use versus agricultural water use but that's a story for another time for people who like to complain about that kind of stuff so inefficiently using the dishwasher maximum efficient solution cortex cottage will have a dishwasher Oh, yes, I don't, I'm, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy. Not immediately, but it will get one. Because <laughs> it takes some work. And uh, as we've been over before, when you buy a house, you're not really left with a lot of money. Right. But it will happen. And it's also worth your time to get the dishwasher. Talking about money, mm-hmm. my understanding being on the periphery of YouTube culture tells me that you're not going to make any money anymore. That's that's the what I have gotten from seeing a bunch of blog posts and uh, YouTube videos from some people that I follow. As it seems that YouTube have changed their monetization strategy. Are you able to provide an overview for the listener, or shall I bumble my way through it? I I can provide a a brief overview of of what has occurred recently in YouTube land. So this is a a story of demonetization. Which is a great word, by the way. <laughs> it's a great word. I really, this is a slight tangent before we even begin. I really hate the word monetize. Yeah, it's terrible. It's a really ugly word. And I'm also aware that it is a word I can never spell right. And iOS text prediction never has any idea what I'm trying to say when I write out the word monetize. Because it doesn't exist, the word. <laughs> right, it is a fake word. Yeah, I can't, I can't spell it. I think it's just an ugly word. Uh, and then like demonetization. I feel like we're going to build our way up to some kind of anti-disestablishmentarianism of monetize. Yeah. Soon there's going to be retro demonetization yeah. when they put it back again. Yeah. Which, yeah, which is almost certainly has occurred. I do know people who have been retro demonetized. So, yeah. Oh, my word. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an ugly, ugly word. Retro, retro demonetized. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that could happen. When they take it away again. Or re-retro demonetized. Oh, re re is good. Yeah, re retro demonetization. It's a it's a horrible word. If but it feels like I don't know. Like a a tangent to the tangent is the reason that business lingo like this creeps into the language is is because it is effective at conveying an idea with a small number of syllables usually. Yeah, like the word monetize or monetization. I don't know how to express in a better way than that. Yeah, or with fewer syllables. Yeah. Right. Like, I can say, make money from. Right. But it just isn't as good. I mean, exactly. I hate monetize, but right. it it completely conveys what you're trying to say. Yeah, it does. But so, yes, there has been this uh, latest round of demonetization in YouTube. This is a long story that turns into YouTube drama, as as these things mostly do. But I will try to briefly summarize it, which is that... Uh, I guess maybe it was about two weeks ago now, uh, a big brouhaha came about because a bunch of people discovered that their videos had been demonetized so that YouTube was no longer running ads on them, which meant that the creators were no longer earning money off of those videos, and that they had been demonetized for a set of guidelines that YouTube had put out, which is related to the content 
of those videos. So it seems like YouTube is trying to make a move to be more advertising friendly. And that means YouTube doesn't want to run ads or <laughs> whose motives are, are the driving force here? Is it YouTube or is it the advertisers? Who knows? Because you never see on the inside of these things. the advertiser. Yeah, no, I think it's the advertisers as well. It's totally the advertisers. But I still have some doubts about the mechanisms by which YouTube is doing it, but that's a different story. Uh, so anyway, videos that include these sort of broad categories will not be monetized, which includes things like uh, sexually suggestive content or sexual humor, partial nudity, violence, inappropriate language, uh, harassment, swearing... Uh, promotion of drugs and related substances, and controversial or sensitive subjects, including subjects related to war, political conflicts, natural disasters, and tragedies, even if graphic imagery is not shown. So these are like some some pretty broad, very broad, uh, very subjective guidelines about what kind of content on YouTube can have ads run against it. And as you can imagine, many people were quite upset to wake up one day and discover that they weren't earning money on a bunch of their videos. And in the constant... <sighs> I don't know how to describe it, but the constant just disaster that is YouTube communication. Everybody thought this was a new policy because all of the notifications went out on one day, but it turned out this is a thing they'd been doing in secret for several years. They just never bothered to send out any notifications to anybody about videos being demonetized. So it's like, great. Thumbs up. Great, great communication there, YouTube, as usual. Par for the course. Let me ask but you a question about that part, then I want to step back a little bit. Yeah, sure. So the idea of it being happening for years were just people completely unaware of it. Because my understanding is now, like, they were showing a little marker in the YouTube Creator Studio that a video was demonetized. Mm -hmm. So were previously they're just not showing that and you just weren't getting the money. It, this is very hard to know. Like, I, I've, I have had my own run-ins with demonetization in the past, and... It has always been the case that it shows up as as like a little sad grayed out money icon when your when your video has been demonetized. Yeah, one of our videos that happened to one of the Cortex videos. Oh, did it? Yeah. What was? Did you ever get a notification? Any reason or just it like? It just said it in the little box mm -hmm. um, when I uploaded it before I published it. Mm -hmm. So then I just removed it and did it again, and it was fine. <laughs> That's always <laughs> great. It wasn't published, oh. so I just deleted it and started over because oh, i figured i'd done something wrong it just said can't be monetized and i was like uh i don't know why so i'll just do it again shall i and it worked yeah it's uh, it's this stuff is so frustrating um so my personal experience with demonetization has always been i have to notice i've never gotten a notification that the video has been demonetized i have had videos that are showing ads like when I upload them and publish them and every, everything is hunky-dory as far as I know and then it's only when I go back later and check do I see like oh the green money icon has turned to a gray money icon so that's something I find weird then right? mm -hmm. so the videos that have been demonetized or are being demonetized if ads run on them who gets the money well, when that gray icon pops up, there are no more ads showing on the video. Okay. So, 
Hmm. So how do people not know then? Well, if this has been happening for years, the the thing is, I think th- there's a couple there's a couple of things here. First of all, as you know very well, Mike, runner of the Cortex YouTube channel, the advertising rates from Google AdSense. <laughs> On those YouTube videos. Wait, How would you describe them? They like? have advertising rates? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I would describe it. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's hilariously low. That is really the best way to describe it. The It, it is so low that it is funny, right? That, like, like you, you have to laugh, if, otherwise you cry. If you picked a number, it is lower than that number. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. It yeah, really it, is. It, yeah, it's 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 ridiculous. Um, it's and, you know, like when we think about the cortex business, you know, I'm sure you can just mentally round off the YouTube advertising money as zero, right? Like I never it might, think about it. Yeah, exactly. It might as well be zero. Yeah. And so that that thing that you've said right there, like you don't you don't even think about it, like it doesn't even cross your mind about the advertising money that you get from the YouTube channel for the cortex numbers. That right there is an indication of how is it possible. Right. that people could have not noticed. One of the reasons is that, again, my channel is a, a very unusual channel with a bunch of the numbers compared to most YouTube channels. And so most YouTube channels don't upload a video once every six weeks. Six weeks if you're lucky. Especially not channels at your subscriber and view size. Because at those rates, why would you not be uploading a video every week? Is the usual kind of thinking, right? Right. Is yeah, it's totally the usual kind of thinking. Now, the the thing is, if you look at, for example, the 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 revenue chart of like how much money do I earn every day in advertising from YouTube? Like, there's a little analytics chart that you can pull up inside of YouTube to see this. My chart looks like a flat line with a series of spikes, right? One coming one every six weeks or so. So it's like nothing spike, nothing spike, nothing spike. And that that is extraordinarily rare. Most people who have shown me uh, their equivalent charts, their charts look essentially like flat lines with maybe occasional bumps. Because what they're dealing with is that they're getting a, like a ton of revenue from the back catalog, but maybe any particular video is not a huge percentage of the like monthly take. And this is what happens when you have hundreds and hundreds of videos and you have people who go back through and like will watch a ton of your videos in a row, right? Whereas I don't think I even have like a hundred real videos yet. Yeah, right? so lots of people are watching your back catalog, but there's less back catalog to consume. Exactly, exactly. Whereas, you know, you, with tons of, of like daily vloggers, you have literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of back catalog episodes to yep. consume. Yep. And I think this also compounds the effect that when you as a creator are looking at the videos that you are uploading, you're only ever seeing the last 10 when you sort of casually go log on to YouTube and look through stuff. So if you were not getting any notifications about being demonetized, and if any particular video is a small percentage of what the monthly earnings are, and you're only able to see the last 10 videos at a glance, it's very easy to, to see how is it that people might not have noticed that, they're, that they have videos in their back catalog that were demonetized. 
And I've, I've seen some examples where some people have discovered that they have literally hundreds of videos that have been demonetized. <laughs> Just like, oh, whoops. <laughs> so I want to go back a little bit mm-hmm. to, to this as an idea. Mm-hmm. I am. Uh, I was very surprised when I saw about all of this that this wasn't happening. Now it turns out that it may have already been happening. Mm-hmm. Because why would an advertiser want to associate themselves with some of the things that are in this list of stuff? Right? You know, why would you want your product playing before a video about X if it doesn't fit with your brand? Like, there are some people that would have no problem with their video playing before sexually suggestive content, mm-hmm. but there are lots of companies that wouldn't want to be associated with that. Right, but you can imagine that, like, Durex might want their video in front of sexually suggestive content. Or wouldn't care. Right, or, yeah, or wouldn't care. Yeah, they're like, whatever, guys. But, you know, maybe a children's toy company. And mm-hmm. I'm sure YouTube's algorithms are smart enough to understand a lot of this stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. But so that's one thing, right? So I imagine that's the case. I can, and I'm not surprised about it. However, it doesn't seem to be happening to a lot of people. So, like, I've watched a PewDiePie video where PewDiePie is complaining about this, mm-hmm. and in his video, he is attempting to break it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But there was still a 30 second unskippable ad that played beforehand, mm-hmm. because you're always going to advertise on PewDiePie. Right, yeah. So the rules that they've set out aren't accurate. It doesn't make sense to me. Like saying we will not do this, 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 and this, there will be no ads there, isn't true. It's very strange because, like, of course advertisers wouldn't want it and YouTube should have this in place. It is unsurprising that something like this is in place to me. Like just Mm -hmm. because, like, if you imagine me as the YouTube, right, Mm -hmm. like as in the person who puts ads on stuff, like one of the reasons that all of our shows remain clean it's for that reason, mm-hmm. right? At Relay FM, we don't have explicit shows because it just becomes trickier to sell ads there, so we just keep it clean. Yeah, th- yeah, that, that's that's totally the case. Like, I bleep curses on Hello Internet not because I have some kind of prudish problem with cursing, which I don't, because I'm cursing on the show. But I bleep it because iTunes doesn't like it if you have curses in your podcast, right? You have to mark it explicit and it causes problems. Yeah, and it just makes it easier. There's just something you don't have to deal with by doing that. It's like a conversation you don't have to have. So I'm not surprised about it. But then, you know, so it doesn't surprise me this is in place. This should be in place because if I'm an advertiser, I want to be able to disassociate myself with that type of content if I want to. Mm. However, it also does feels like at the top, top end of the scale, it's still not a problem. Yeah, I mean, this is, I don't know. I mean, this this gets off, off into a whole, a whole, like, side realm. But yeah. I often, I look at stuff like this, and I always hate lists like this. Because you look at any of the words, and it's always one of these cases of, it's very hard to disagree with any of these words, right? But the devil always comes down into the details by, like, what do you mean by these words? Like, like for example, partial nudity. What do you mean by that? Right? Like, that's like my arms. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like, I'm wearing a t-shirt. How partial is partial nudity? And it's like, I hate to say this. I know a lot of vloggers who would not be anywhere near where they are right now if they didn't have partial nudity, right? 
under the broadest interpretation of of these words, right? So it's like, and also something like partial nudity. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on a go out on a wild limb here and say that's a really culturally dependent term. Yeah, like who are you basing that on? Because yeah. there are a lot of people that can get upset with even the realm that you consider to be okay. Yeah, exactly. So, like, but again, it's like partial nudity. Just just when you hear it on, on, as part of a list, and especially when they prime you with like sexually suggestive content, including partial nudity. It's like, well, wait, wait, you know. It's like, what level of suggesting are yeah. we talking here? Like, that just shouldn't exist. They should just say sexually suggestive content. Like, partial yeah. nudity is the wrong phrase to use. Uh, yeah, in that in that scenario, it doesn't make any sense. Right, me. but the the thing is, it's it's like with with this whole list, like run, running running down the list. There's because these things are just so broad and because they're so interpretive, there is almost no video I I could probably find on YouTube that I couldn't stretch one of these definitions to include. In knowing the way that YouTube are like with their basically openly hostile practices at times, Mm -hmm. they may as well have just said any video that we deem unmonetizable. Yeah, it may as well have just said that. Yeah, and that's that's whenever I see guidelines like this, this is always the conclusion that I kind of draw is and, and it's it's one reason why I have a kind of ideological opposition to some of this stuff, even if it is for the best of intentions, it always comes off as like we're writing a bunch of intentionally broad rules so that at any point we can demonetize stuff that we just want to. Right? Like, you know, for whatever reason it is and and like you say, you know, we don't want to demonetize PewDiePie's videos because he's huge number one person on our channel. And, and I don't <laughs> think the reason for that is because they don't want to upset PewDiePie. They just want that sweet, sweet PewDiePie money. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, yeah, they've 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 upset PewDiePie enough. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like... he makes part of a living based on that now. I think. Yeah, exactly. It does. It does seem like you two might intentionally provoke him sometimes. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's like not necessarily a good idea, guys. Leave PewDiePie alone. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's like when I look at these lists, that's that's always my conclusion. And the one that really that really catches my attention is, you know, f- for years when people ask about examples of of great content on YouTube, I've always pointed to one of my favorite things, which is the Crash Course World History series. You know, starting with with John Green, like in episode number one. You know, and, and you go watch those and like, like, it's an amazing example of like great high quality content on YouTube. Like, I am a person who's not a huge fan of history, but like those videos were just so well done. So well done. But like Crash Course World History certainly includes sensitive events related to war and political conflicts. Right. Like how how. How is the opium war not a political conflict, right? Or a sensitive subject, right, related to war? Or the Holocaust. Yeah, exactly. It's just ludicrously broad to include almost everything. And so I, I just find this kind of stuff frustrating, right? I, the, 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 the thing, even, even what I think is perhaps one of, like, the clearest ones on this list is swearing, right? inappropriate language, including swearing, but I am always astounded by words other people think are swear words that, for me, don't even register as swear words. It is like, very different between me and you, for example. Yeah, yeah, we even have this disagreement. Yep. Where, yeah, 
I think you're a little sensitive on this topic. And I'm always trying to get you to de-bleep stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you want to bleep too many things, Mike. <laughs> I just go by what the way I was brought up. Right. You know, in Britain, there are different curse words. But of course, that goes right to the core of the problem. Could you, like, looking at this list, could you get a room full of three people to agree on no. the subpoints of what should or should not be included on any of these bullet points? No, no of course you can't. And I think when they're writing That's these the guidelines, point. they know. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, that is, uh, like, I, I don't think that's some kind of accident. I think that that is intentionally part of this. And I don't like it because then it leads to capricious and weird and semi-random demonetization of particular channels. And and again, just like it seems like some channels that I'm like, I'm guessing people at YouTube don't like so much were hit harder than others. And it's like, that's bullshit is what that is. Like, it's 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 frustrating. Uh, you just demonetize this podcast. <laughs> all right so where is this where is this right now like as we're recording right now have youtube backed away from anything have they explained things any clearer i haven't really seen any updates other than just like this is our policy and you know we'll let you know deal with it yeah exactly like this is this is a thing we've changed this thing just just deal with it and from a creator's perspective it's not it doesn't seem to be clear either, right? Because now it's like, oh, well, this has been happening forever. And it's like, oh, okay then. Right. Is that better or is that worse? Yeah. I think it's worse. This week's episode of Cortex is brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks are on a mission to help small business owners save time and avoid the stress that comes with running their businesses. And that starts with pain-free invoicing. FreshBooks has created a super intuitive tool that makes creating and sending invoices simple. It takes just 30 seconds to make an invoice and FreshBooks gives your clients tons of ways to pay you. It's simple for you, it's simple for your clients, and that means you simply get paid. In fact, FreshBooks customers get paid five days faster on average. If you need any reason to use FreshBooks, that is it. Who doesn't need the money sooner? You can also check whether or not your client has actually looked at an invoice so they can't give you any excuses about not having received it in the first place. And you can even set up automatic late payment reminders too. FreshBooks starts with the invoicing, but it doesn't end there because they also help you track your expenses and your time and have a ton of third-party integrations. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day free trial to listeners of this show. No credit card required. So to claim your 30 days of unrestricted use, please go to freshbooks.com slash cortex. And please enter cortex in the how you heard about us section so FreshBooks knows you came from this show. Thank you so much to FreshBooks for sponsoring Cortex and all of Relay FM. Reading about all of this and kind of trying to understand a little bit about what's happening here has led me to a question that I have for you, which is basically, I don't understand knowing you and the way that you work, and as I'm sure many of the people that have listened to this show will also question, I don't understand how you are comfortable enough to leave your revenue in the hands of someone else. You have no control, zero control over the advertising money that comes into you from YouTube's end. There's, they can change the rules whenever they want. All of this is done without telling anybody. And you have no way of refining or changing any of the practices that occur. 
And I don't see how this gels with your ways of working, which is mainly a sense of control, I think, around a lot of the ways that you do business. And I understand that you have trade-offs that you're willing to do for the sake of convenience in a lot of the stuff that you do. Mm -hmm. But this one feels like a step above that because it is completely like how the money comes in, which is very, very different. Yeah, so you're, you're totally right about that, Mike. And this is, I think, the kind of meta lesson to draw from this. I mean, this to me just strikes me as another example of like one of the many things that occurs with YouTube. And my my feeling towards YouTube for a long time has been a bit of like, don't be too reliant on it. And I think people who have followed the podcasts and the videos that I make can be aware of that. Uh, like putting out a video, asking people to sign up to my email list, like that's, that's like part of this whole, don't want to be too reliant on, on YouTube. But there's the real wake up call for me was like when I, when I first started with YouTube and things start getting successful, it's like, wow, this is, this is going really well. And I think I'm, I'm hitting high enough numbers that I can like maybe leave my job and now I'm hitting high enough numbers. It's like, okay, great. Like I'm, I'm replacing my previous income. Like this is, this is all going, this is all going well. And I was kind of living in like YouTube is magic and amazing land until I can pinpoint the exact video, which was my, my first like rude wake up call with this, this kind of problem. And it was the video that is Canada and the United States bizarre borders part two, uh, which was, very popular. I'm looking at it now. It has like 7.7 million views. But when it, whenever it went up, it was the most uh, rapidly watched video of any video that I had made until that point. You know, like the first 48 hours were just huge. For some reason, like that one just went ridiculously viral. And that was one of those videos that I uploaded it to YouTube. Everything was fine. And then it was demonetized like an hour later and demonetized for maybe a day, a day and a half after that. As I was like frantically trying to get in touch with YouTube to be like, what, what is going on with this video? Why are there not ads running against it? And it was uh, not a fun experience because at that stage, it's like I needed the money from that video to pay the rent for that month. <laughs> like this was... This was like a no joke, we have a real problem here situation. And also given the way my videos are, because they tend to be viral, that means essentially almost all of the ad money that I'm going to make off of them, I'm making in like the first two to four days. And then after that, it just drops off tremendously in, in terms of the number of views. And so, and so that, was a, that was a real panic and a, and a real wake up. And... That was that was the point at which I I really started. I think thinking of YouTube less as like a boy isn't this exciting. Like I can't believe I'm doing this for a living. It's totally amazing. Uh, everything's perfect land. And I started thinking of it much more strategically. Like I need to think of this as a business that can create a a reliable and stable life. Like for me. And my wife and 
you can see if you kind of follow follow the things that happen. Like this is why not two months later there's an announcement video that I was on, on part of Subable, which eventually became part of Patreon. Like how how can I make it so that if there is a disaster with this part of the business that I have no control over, that I don't have to go into complete freakout mode because it's just it's just not a good situation to be in and and over the years like i have successfully done that where like this this recent demonetization story with youtube this was actually one of the the times i felt really kind of in a meta way about the business i felt relatively good about it because this thing crossed my radar when it happened but because I was occupied with a bunch of other things uh, at the time, I didn't feel like I have to drop everything right now and focus on this and find out what's going on with my YouTube channel. I felt like this is a thing I can give some time to let it to let it shake out to see what the situation is. You know, wait for a YouTube response and then and then see where we are. I don't feel like. I need to investigate this right now and I need to be seriously worried about the future of my rental payments. And that's because at this point you're comfortable with the money you have coming in from other avenues that if YouTube explodes into a pile of demonetization you have revenue coming in from other areas. Exactly. Like this was this was the number one goal which was to get to a point where I was not dependent on the flakiest source of income, right? The 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 most unreliable source of income, which is like maybe your video isn't monetized for like no reason you ever get a good explanation for. And this this demonetization thing has actually made me wonder in retrospect, what like did that video somehow trip one of these things somewhere in the system like is that what happened it you know it's a year after they said they supposedly started doing this it's like i, I just don't know I, I i wonder but it's it's nice to be in a position where i feel like i don't really have to care <laughs> right it's like look you guys have pushed me into a situation where i feel like i diversified my business much sooner than i might have otherwise be- because of this kind of thing and I, and I really do think it's it's um like for anybody who is self-employed I I don't know when this exactly occurs but I think it's very likely that if you're self-employed especially at the start you probably have one big client right or or one major source of income and th- there's I think that's almost necessary to start out like that's what gets you going but there's an inflection point at which you have to realize like this is a real problem like you're in a you're in a a deadly vulnerable situation if your income is is reliant on a single client or a single product and i feel like probably sooner than you think you should you should probably start trying to diversify and it's a funny thing. I've actually had a few meetings um, with smaller YouTube channels. And this is this is one point that I've, I've actually tried to hit home with people who seem to be in the phase that I was of like, wow, YouTube's amazing. And like, yes, yes, it is amazing. But like, you need to start thinking about diversifying right now. <laughs> like, do this before you need to do this so that it is 
not a disaster that you wake up to one morning. I mean, in in the in the realm of these kind of little problems with YouTube, like this demonetization one is is almost certainly the minorest of these things that have ever occurred. But I'm always astounded when there's some kind of explosion on YouTube where somebody just loses their whole channel, right? Like they wake up one morning and YouTube has just removed a channel, you know, I'm like, wow, that would be a bad day. Right? That would be a really bad day if you are entirely dependent on that one thing as your source of income. And for all the office monkeys, try not to think about your employer that way, but it is exactly the same situation. Yeah, don't tell them. Keep the office monkeys calm. So I know that you're in in your kind of uh, idea of spreading out your revenue a little bit. Part of that, and the diversification, part of that is included in the podcasts, right? So they, they help with that. But YouTube is still a big kind of hole. Like whilst you've taken steps that are outside of YouTube, so Patreon and or your own advertising, protect against YouTube monetization stuff. Mm-hmm. There is nothing protecting YouTube implosion. What do you mean about like YouTube just going out of business? Sure. <laughs> yeah. It's Which a, is it's... a rare but not impossible thing. But other than YouTube going out of business, your channel being taken down is another part of that. Like your YouTube business going out of business. Yeah, there, there are there are many ways that this this can occur, right? And and so, some of the the YouTube channel bans seem sort of remarkably arbitrary to me. Again, there there are sometimes people who could fit on this list of things YouTube doesn't like. But again, anybody could fit on this list of things YouTube doesn't like. And of course, there's always the possibility. Everyone can be MySpace, right? YouTube can be MySpace. It can always happen. Because of Facebook. <laughs> exactly. Facebook could do to YouTube what Facebook did to MySpace. <laughs> exactly. And, I mean, it is... I have a, a long list of, of frustrations with Facebook. But, like, there is, there is a reason why I eventually gave in and started using my Facebook page more as a place to at least post the videos and to post the blogs is the same kind of calculation of, you know what? Let me just have a, a foothold here. Let me just have a little bit of an establishment here so that if I ever feel like I need to start shifting weight more, I'm already set to do it. I don't have to be panicking at the absolute last minute. Or it's the same. It's the same reason why when Amazon announced their now incredibly popular video service that I only seem to remember when we're discussing it on this podcast, like uh, I set up an account on that straight away, and I was I would was ready to upload videos to it if it ever existed. I don't even know if it exists. Sorry, sorry Amazon video team. I haven't heard of it. I, yeah, I haven't heard anything about you guys. I'm sure it's doing great, but like you want to set up these things before you need them. And 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 that that metaphor of feeling like I'm standing on YouTube, but like there's a little there's like a little tiny Facebook island that I'm on as well that I could maybe start diverting resources to if it looks like the tide shifts. And if it were not for the particular policies of Vimeo and the way they want videos to be done, like I'd be doing the same thing on on Vimeo. It's just that they their their policies are not particularly friendly towards the way that I want to do business, which is totally fine. They're running their business in a very different way. But that like that's that's part of my feeling. It's just like try to be prepared before you need 
to be prepared. Uh, but I think I think I don't think this is me being overly cautious. I think it's just a thing that you have to think about, and you're forced to realize, like what happened to me when you do have some kind of technical glitch, which just totally cuts off your source of income, your only source of income for an unknown period of time. Like that is absolutely terrifying when you are self-employed. So my last kind of thought on this, this is the latest edition in a long line of things in which YouTube upsets the creators within their system. Mm. Is there anything at this point, in your opinion, that YouTube can do to actually make people leave? I mean, look, YouTube is benefiting from the network effect. Everybody knows all the videos are on YouTube. YouTube has established the mind share, particularly in younger viewers are like, this is where you go to watch videos. It's essentially TV. And I think that's, that is really, really hard to budge. Uh, I think, and this, when was this about like, was it about a year ago this time? I think it was when YouTube first announced YouTube Red. That to me was perhaps the only time where I thought they could have made an absolutely devastating mistake, which it seemed like they were approaching up against. And then I th- I think someone at YouTube realized like, oh, it's, it's too late. We can't reverse on this. But it seemed like they wanted to ban the sponsorships at the end of videos or like brand deals in videos, which again would totally make sense if they're trying to offer a service where people are paying money so they don't have to see ads. And I think YouTube Red exists in this funny, bizarro land where it's like, oh, you're paying to not see ads, but lots of channels make videos that are essentially ads for a particular product. Sponsored content. Yeah, like sponsored content. Or they do what I do, which is like a podcast-style ad at the end of the video. And I think YouTube wanted to close the door on that, but they were too late. And and that perhaps to me seemed like the only mistake that could have been a total, if you do this, many people will just straight up leave. Because it would make financial sense to straight up leave. Because as we have discussed, the YouTube ad revenue, particularly for bigger channels, is not holding anybody there. Right? Like if... Uh, you know, uh, it's interesting, like at, at VidCon, you know, I was talking to some some people who who run much bigger channels than me and, and channels that I'm always amazed, like are just huge teams of people. Like, I'm, again, always surprised how many people are are involved with production sometimes. And for really big YouTube channels that have big teams of people, they like they literally can't exist without those brand partnerships. Like as much as I don't always like those videos where it's like, OK, this video is essentially a commercial. If you have a team of 20 people making videos, like that has to be there, right? There is there is no way you can do that without those kind of things. And and so that is a case of I always look at the economics of a situation and I think YouTube could have made it unviable for a decent number of very big channels to actually exist on YouTube anymore if they had banned sponsorships at the end of videos or branded content 
in videos. Aside from that, though, I, I mean, it, it does make me think of like Facebook versus MySpace. Like, why is it that Facebook took over? Why didn't MySpace last? I think it's like a very interesting question. You know, even before that, you could think of like Orkut as a social network that existed. Like that was really big for a while. But then why did it fade? Like, why, why do these things come in phases? Who knows? Um, but I, I can at least say that as a YouTube creator, I feel like I always have my eye out for the next video platform. And I'm pretty sure I am not the only one who feels that way. That everybody else is just like ready just in case. But is there going to be something else? I don't know. I don't know. I could see YouTube dominating for, you know, the next 50 years. I I, I could actually, I could very well see that as a possibility. Here's a scenario that I'll paint. Okay. Like a potential one. So the way that I look at it, social networks shift like that when they get too big because then your mom is there. Mm, yeah, I think the your mom being on on the social network is a real genuine problem. Right? Like that that yep. is a real shift that occurs that feels like oh. And this is why something like Snapchat is increasing as something you know as things like Facebook and Instagram are decreasing. They're feeling the Snapchat effect mm. because kids don't want to go where their parents are. Mm. Now that kind of thing won't happen for YouTube because there's no effect. There's no network, right? Mm. But what I could see happening there is if YouTube make it difficult for people to create content which is explicit in any of the ways that they are mentioning, Mm. it could force creators to go somewhere else to make that type of content, which may take people with it. Mm. So if you look at someone like PewDiePie, who we talk about all the time on this show now for some reason... He is the most popular YouTuber in the world, probably because of the type of thing that he talks about. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the stuff that he talks about by YouTube's new rules should, and a lot of the content he creates should not be able to make money anymore. Mm. So he, let's say that that was actually true, which I don't think it is for him. And then he wasn't making any money anymore, right? Like they had clamped down and he wasn't able to make any money from his ads. He may go elsewhere. And if he went elsewhere, his viewers would probably find him. Mm. And then if a lot of people did that, that's a way that YouTube could maybe start to lose its footing. If they make it too difficult for people, it's like, you know, what some people would call censoring, like in some kind of roundabout way, Mm. like whilst they're not actually saying you can't make this type of content, but what they are saying is if you make this type of content, you can't make any money anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. This may force some people to move somewhere else. And then if they do, it may take their audiences with them. Yeah, or I think it it's it could also have an effect on smaller starting creators. Again, there's... there's yeah, there's two sides to this. There's, 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 the, there's the people already there entrenched, and then there's the people starting out. And, yeah. and either of those things changing could affect YouTube. Yeah. So that's how I see that could go away. Yeah. I really do wish there was a real YouTube competitor. Yeah, because it would make YouTube better. Yeah, it to- it totally would. I mean, this it's just an example of you can see a kind of monopoly effect. But I, I think about it all the time. It's like, man, I wish I wish there was something else that was even just a quarter as big as YouTube. Like, I I would be so much happier with because that. your only competitor is actually kind of worse, which is Facebook. Yeah, Facebook is awful. And like F- Facebook, I will 
reluctantly go to if I have no other option. Like the ocean has swallowed all of the islands and my tiny Facebook outpost is the only place that is left to go. Like, and then I will go there uh, while I am simultaneously maintaining the RSS feed for my videos as well, which I still operate also as a kind of fallback, like just in cases. Um, Yeah. But it's like Facebook is not an attractive option. I, I would love, I would love to have an option that I could feel good about uploading my videos on that was also financially viable. I mean, essentially it's like, again, I want to be clear. I totally understand why they don't do it, but I would love it if I could upload my videos onto Vimeo and also make money from them on Vimeo. Like I would do that in a heartbeat. And I'm, I'm sure there would be a ton of other people who would do that as well, because it's like, even just having Vimeo to balance, it would be fantastic. (laughs) Your RSS feed always makes me laugh because it reminds me of like a doomsday bunker. (laughs) <laughs> that is that is totally what my video RSS feed is. The yeah. RSS feed is just full of cans of beans. <laughs> exactly. Like there's there's one light bulb in the ceiling, right, which flickers. Right. There's an air filtration system down there, and there's ten years worth of beans stored up and a mattress and a table and a microphone to record and one sad old computer. Like that is like one of those yeah. wool blankets that is impossibly itchy. <laughs> yeah. That's in over there in the corner. I will I will totally agree with it because yes that is the feeling in my mind too of like all has been lost like what can we retreat to this this is the this is the the final place to to crawl to for shelter There is one last thing in your shelter though What a steam powered dishwasher Yes a steam powered dishwasher <laughs> because even in a doomsday scenario you'd be a savage to wash your own dishes Yeah you can't waste your life like that Today's episode of Cortex is brought to you in part by Blue Apron, the company on a mission to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. For less than $10 a meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with fresh, high-quality ingredients to help you make delicious home-cooked meals. Each Blue Apron meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-proportioned ingredients that can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. You just get the ingredients that you need, so nothing's going to be wasted, which is great. You can customize your recipes each week based on your own dietary preferences and choose a delivery option that fits your needs. There's no weekly commitment, so you only get deliveries when you want them, and Blue Apron delivers to 99% of the continental United States. New recipes are created each week by Blue Apron's culinary team and are not repeated within a year. Cook meals like lemon chicken and green beans with a parmesan roasted summer squash and potato or serrano pepper and goat's cheese burgers with zucchini slaw. How amazing does that sound? Not only do you get access to all this incredible food that's going to be delivered straight to you and all the recipes that you need, by cooking with Blue Apron frequently, you're also going to learn new skills and new recipes for yourself that you can do at any time. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with fresh ingredients, to support a more sustainable food system, you can make yourself incredible meals. Blue Apron sets the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. Whether it's Japanese ramen noodles, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, or heirloom tomatoes, Blue Apron brings you the best. Check out this week's menu and get your three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash cortex you'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with blue apron so don't wait visit blueapron.com slash cortex for your first three meals for free with free shipping thank you so much to blue apron for their support of cortex and relay fm blue apron a better way to cook 
listener John wrote in, and John was interested to understand how the MacBook Adorable lasted over the summer. Last time we spoke about Lil Adorable Mm -hmm. was when the battery died many episodes ago whilst we were recording, and we have since recorded a selection of episodes using that machine whilst you've been gallivanting around. Um, and of course, you have been using it over Cortexmas to get your work done, and I assume record some episodes of Hello Internet as well, mm-hmm. um, and maybe even do some video work on it. So, how did this purchase fare for you? I mean, I'm going to say it was an absolutely fantastic purchase. Okay, I, I have to say, like the MacBook Adorable was everything that I kind of hoped. That it would be. Like we, we had that discussion about rethinking your devices, like not, not falling into old assumptions about what is the equipment that you really need right now and, and trying, to, trying to reframe things. And my whole purpose for getting the MacBook adorable was I am trying to maximize portability over a period of time in which I'm going to be traveling a lot. Like what, what, is, what is the piece of equipment that I can get that will, that will serve this purpose? And this itty-bitty MacBook is the equipment that will do this. Comes with some interesting trade-offs, the one port, as we found out on the day when I opened it. Uh, But, I mean, I essentially discovered, like, I can run all of the necessary parts of my business off of this little machine. I can record the podcast without a problem. I can edit the podcasts without a problem. Uh, I did do some very, very light video work, uh, but I was also able to export uh, like 4K video on, on the MacBook, not at like a lightning speed, but at a totally satisfactory pace. So I, I mean, I've got to say like huge thumbs up to the MacBook adorable team. Like I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed with this little machine for the role that I need it like and and i'm i just i really 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 like it so having also traveled over this summer i really wish i bought one in june because <laughs> i was waiting i told you max that never came yeah well i mean in some ways this conversation is an entirely hypothetical conversation like do you like the macbook adorable do you not like the macbook adorable it doesn't really matter because as far as i can tell this is the only computer that Apple makes anymore. So everybody's going to be buying a MacBook Adorable eventually. They don't make any other computers. So you should have bought one. What about the iMac that you're using right now? Yeah, it's a legacy piece of equipment. When was the last time they updated it? Like a year ago? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> the iMac was updated 338 days ago. Fine. Infinity in computer it's time. It's not over a thousand, like some computers. Thousand. Yeah, like some computers we could name. Uh, all of the things that you might worry about with the with the little MacBook, again, for for me, were not any problem. Uh, I, like I didn't have any issue with the battery life. It, it was it was totally fine. I was largely using it plugged in, however, uh, you know, with adapters and things. So that, like, maybe if you're if you're trying to do something like export 4k video on the battery the battery might not last very long because i think it's probably optimized to be efficient as a, as opposed to like being able to just have a bunch of battery to grind through a difficult task but i i 
I'm totally impressed by it. Uh, like, and I was speaking to someone who does development on on the MacBook Adorable. Like, they just they just run Xcode on it. Like, I don't. I get the I get the impression that that kind of thing is very CPU intense, and they seem totally happy with with using the machine. So, yeah, I'm just I, I really don't have any complaints about it. Like, I'm I'm trying to like shuffle through my mind and be like, were there things that I was really annoyed about? And and the answer is no. I mean, e- even the thing that that was interesting to me is the the keyboard. While I don't love the keyboard, having used the uh, iPad Pro keyboard cover tremendously extensively and really loving that keyboard cover really helped me kind of get used to the MacBook Adorables keyboard. And so over the summer, I was like, okay, I started doing more typing on it. I was doing some light administration work and it was it was totally fine. I was like, okay, I could get I could get used to this keyboard, but then I had the funny experience actually just yesterday that for um, for a variety of reasons I had to lug out my old brick of obligation, my old MacBook Pro, 15 inch thing. I'm like, okay, take it out, you know, you know, on the table, blow off the dust, open it up, boot it up, and I used the keyboard, and I was like, this keyboard is garbage. Like this is awful to use how did i ever type on this thing it was it was a really astounding experience to go back to those dome switches for a keyboard and just a funny thing when you realize you've gotten used to something else and then you can feel the terribleness of the old thing that you used to use which you just you never really noticed like I, i was never a super fan of laptop keyboards mainly because I like mechanical keyboards because they are the best but it's like man now if I have to choose between the old-fashioned MacBook Pro keyboard and the MacBook keyboard like I will I will positively choose that MacBook keyboard any day of the week it's awful typing on the old keyboard do you think though that this machine would last a few years for you well, that depends essentially entirely on what does my podcasting workflow look like in the future. There were a couple of times that the MacBook kind of stuttered out when I was editing a very, very complicated logic file towards the end. Nothing major, like nothing even really worth complaining about. But, you know, as as these things happen like when software updates occur software gets bigger it takes more cpu cycles to run you know if if you change microphones like you can start using bigger and bigger files like there's a way i can imagine that this particular macbook for me might not be a product that would last several years and i would have to replace a computer at some point but it really does feel entirely contingent on Assuming that I am doing podcasting several years from now, what does that whole setup look like? Ideally, I would still love to transition all of that into my iPad Pro, but I think there's a variety of reasons why that is uh, extremely unlikely to occur, mostly related to the fact that I work with other people when it comes to podcasting. So it's not just about the tools that I use, it's about tools that you can use with other people. And as far as I know, there is currently no uh, professional grade iPad Pro editing software that also allows multiple users to work on a on a single file and I imagine that there probably won't be for ever possibly. Well, never say never. <laughs> never say never, but I'm not going to hold my breath on that one. 
So are you going to wait for the next MacBook, Mike, forever? Or are you going to give in and buy a little MacBook? Well, I feel like at this point, I might as well wait and see what the next announcements are going to be. Isn't that what you said the last time we spoke about yeah, this Yeah, but I'm, I haven't got a summer of traveling now. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's true. Like, the majority of my traveling is now done for the year. Mm-hmm. So it does. it's not an issue for me now. I may as well wait. Because they may rev the adorable again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's, un- it's the least likely to happen, but they might do it. So there's no point in me doing it now until I can at least see what the offerings are. But... Mm-hmm. The new MacBook Pro is going to have to offer significant improvements for me now to consider that over the adorable. Hmm. It's interesting to hear. Because dragging around this laptop this summer, I really just don't want to keep doing that anymore. <laughs> because also, like, I've adjusted the way that I travel and record while I'm traveling quite significantly this year to the point where I don't even know if I really need the power anymore. Hmm. Like, I'm... Basically, now I'm trying to make sure that I never need to edit on a plane, which was something I used to do a lot of. But now I just don't want to do that anymore because I found the value in sleeping on airplanes. Right. Uh, yeah. I was. You always mentioned to me when you were ever you were traveling, like, oh, I'll be editing the shows on the on the plane, and I I never understood how you could do that because I mean, it is a really good thing to do if you have something to do. Like, if I'm going to work, editing is good because it takes lots of time to do. So it helps the time go by. Yeah. It just seemed to me like it's a poor environment spatially for doing that kind of thing. I feel like if I'm editing a podcast, even if I'm on a small screen, like I want to be able to have both hands on the desk. I, you know, I want to have my tablet in front of me. I want, I want space to do this. I, I get that. But for me, if I'm ever going to edit on a laptop, it's never a good environment. <laughs> right, right. So like, it doesn't matter if I'm editing on a laptop in my hotel room or on the plane. It's never mm-hmm. good. So mm-hmm. I may as well go with good and can't do anything else you know like work-wise mm. like this is really for me the only thing i can do work-wise on a plane is edit a podcast mm. because you never know if you're going to get internet even if they tell you you're going to sometimes even if you pay for it it doesn't matter you know you may or may not get wi-fi on a plane no um, the, the rule for flying is never buy the wi-fi just just don't do it but that's your rule that, that's the rule i like to feel connected it's part of the loneliness problem you know oh jesus okay <laughs> So, I, I, you know, I've now also, I try and do my best to get all of my editing done before I leave. And then when I am away, I don't seem to edit the shows that I record, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of the time, I'm not even recording on my own equipment anymore. I'm recording on somebody else's equipment and mm-hmm. or not recording on the machine that I'm, I'm, you know, that I have with me. I'm like recording to a solid state recorder or something mm-hmm. or somebody else's computer is the way that I seem to be doing it these days. So really, like on the, the show, the, the trip that I just took, the two podcasts that I recorded, I didn't edit one of them. It was edited mm-hmm. by, some, by Stephen. And the other one, I'm just recording to edit later. So in all honesty, I don't really need a big powerful machine anymore, it feels like. But... If the MacBook Pro is really cool and is thinner and lighter to a point that is close enough to the MacBook, Mm -hmm. I would consider that machine because then I have closer to the best of both worlds because I then have something that's thinner and lighter than what I have, which is what I'm looking for, plus I have the power at hand if and when I need it. Mm. Because if I do need it, I'm really going to regret that. Mm -hmm. So... I'm I'm still willing to wait and see, but right now I am leaning adorable. 
Just because I'm looking to, as we have spoken about, just optimize for thinness and lightness. Whenever you're traveling, every pound counts. Uh, when I when I'm packing for stuff, I'm I'm always obsessed with with trying to really minimize the weight. And and sometimes when I'm in packing mode, I think, am I going too far? Right? Am am I really trying to cut this down? too much and, and cut out things that I might want or that I might need later on. And the answer when I'm actually traveling is always no. Right? When I'm actually traveling, I'm always looking at stuff and thinking like, I got to cut this out next time, right? I, I can I can do without this. And yeah, so when when you're traveling a bunch, every every ounce counts. And, and the difference between the MacBook Pro and, and the MacBook really does matter like the smallness of it the thinness of it the lightness of it this is this is one case for this machine that that it i, I do feel like apple make it keep making it thinner keep making it lighter it's great like go go as close as you can to the sheet of paper that we all know you want and and i will i will go with you as long as i can ultimately plug in a a microphone to it i'm totally fine so talking about having to get used to things like one port Mm-hmm. iPhone, the new iPhone, is, oh, very is exciting! Has been announced. By the time this show comes out, I will have one because I am going tomorrow, as we record this, to pick it up at the store at early o'clock in the morning. What's early o'clock in the morning? Uh, Eight fifteen is my reservation time. Well, that is pretty early for you. Well, it's pretty early to go to a store. <laughs> yeah, and you live on essentially American East Coast time. So. Yeah, it's it's nice and early, but I want to have my phone. You got to have your phone. This is part of your job. It's part of my job. I I would I would legitimately consider it irresponsible for you not to have a new phone as soon as possible. Right? Like this is this is literally work. I agree completely with the phone, definitely because. I feel like if people tuned into the shows where I talk about technology news and I'm like, yeah, no, I just didn't get one. They would kind of be like, who is this guy? That's my feeling. <laughs> Let's say Apple came out with a phone that was just universally regarded as a terrible phone. They're like, you know, they, they do the announcements and they're like, oh, this year we uh, we made the back out of soap. And, you know, we went back to a low resolution screen because 480p is, is all anybody needs. And it's a thousand dollars. I would think you should still buy that phone because it's part of your job to talk about what are the phones. Like, even if you knew it was bad, like, you are in a position where you just have to buy a phone every year to talk about it on the shows. So I'm I'm very glad to know that you're going to be there at early o'clock in the morning to get your little mic hands around a new phone. My hands are quite big, actually. <laughs> That's why you go with the plus. Exactly, because I can, I can take that. So, are you getting one? Are you sticking with your ancient, ancient, ancient SE? I mean, it is ancient at this point. It's very old guts inside of that thing. Like ancient analog audio devices. Pretty um, much. was a line I really appreciated in the keynote. Um, so I knew, I knew this moment was going to come when I bought the SE. Because I thought like, oh, there's, there's going to be, there's going to be an Apple announcement. They're going to have a new phone. And they're going to have like, ooh, look at this. It's all shiny and new. And I know my personality. I do like having the new things. And it's like, oh, here's some some stuff we can demo. Like, I, I knew this day was going to come. And 
when I was watching the presentation, my uh, tagline for the iPhone 7, like if they're making an Apple poster and it's like it says iPhone 7 at the top and it has a beautiful picture of the iPhone, then you can put a little quote from CGP Grey on the bottom and that quote would be, most skippable iPhone generation ever. Hmm. This is the most skippable one I think they have ever made. Like usually when people complain about the S generations like like the 4s or the 5s i often think people just like don't really understand the changes that have occurred you know particularly like the 4s everyone was like oh it looks the same it's all like no the 4s is an incredible improvement over the 4 i just think this iphone 7 i am amazed that they didn't call it like the iphone 6e right or, or just throw some other letter on, on the back of it i'm just a kind of amazed that they bothered calling it the iphone 7 in retrospect that would have been a bad idea because it would have been calling out the same design too heavily well this kind of goes into when i was watching the presentation there's there's a thing that sometimes happens in presentations when someone's trying to really hard to convince you of a thing and i just kept being aware of like how often and how much they were leaning on words like new and Mm -hmm. revolutionary and i i I was just aware, like, I think you're leaning on these words harder than normal because the reality is the exact reverse of this. Now, I, I understand that, like, on the internals of the phone, right, it is much faster. The Like, the low-energy processors look like a really cool addition. There is actually longer battery life, which is, like, a miracle from God, right, that the phone lasts longer. The waterproofing as well, like, okay, that's great. It's as waterproof as the previous generation watch was, is my sort of understanding of it. Yep. Like all of that stuff is is great. The dual cameras, the dual the dual cameras. I, don't know, I was kind of disappointed in that, but um, that's that's a that's a slide of the story. I don't know. I feel I I feel like watching that. Almost always when the new phones come out, I, I I have a real visceral desire to be like, man, there's a cool thing. I want to get it, even if it's something like 3D touch. I was like, I, I want to get the phone that has 3D touch because I want to experience what this is. Like, what does Apple think this is going to be? How do, is this going to change my interaction with the device? Sometimes the answer is no, right? Like, it doesn't really matter at all. But this phone, I feel like, okay, I... The only thing that to me is a real draw is the dual camera system. That that is that is the only thing I can point to, which would be like, man, it would be awesome to have that dual camera system. But when I think about the place of the phone in my life now, I'm really happy with having a smaller phone. And if Apple had actually made this generation's phone significantly lighter or significantly smaller with this with the seven plus i could have maybe talked myself into getting it but this is the one year where it's like ah, it's essentially the same weight and it's exactly the same size and so it's really a question of do i want to have something bigger in my pocket for in comparison to the 6e like a significantly upgraded camera the biggest knock against the SE is the camera is like, okay, it's it's not fantastic or anything. It's okay. But switching from that to the dual camera system would be a hell of an improvement. But I, f- I feel like I am really happy with the move that I have made to try to minimize the centrality of the phone in my life. And I feel doubly secure in this after this past summer where uh, whenever I'm traveling, 
a lot of the stuff that I do to normally lock down the phone that, you know, people think I'm crazy about, like turning off notifications from all kinds of stuff, disabling the App Store, disabling Safari, uh, like turning off absolutely everything that buzzes or makes noise. When I'm traveling, I have to loosen up a bunch of those restrictions because otherwise it's just it's just too inconvenient because I'm in too many situations where like I need to communicate with someone now and my usual three day response time to an iMessage is not adequate. Like when you're trying to meet up with somebody or I need to get notifications or I need to look up something on on Safari. I've come off of a summer of having the phone be more central in my life than it normally was. And now that I've pulled that back again, I feel like, no, I really like having a phone that does fewer and fewer things rather than than more things. And I think the like the seven plus is a phone that calls to you to do more with it. Like it it its size asks of you to do more with it. And if it's in in your pocket as this huge device, like it it's it's just more of a focus. So I feel like I'm really on on board with the idea of like minimizing the phone in my life and the SE fits into that perfectly. I, I like having the smaller device. I just for, for comparison, I was kind of playing around with my wife's phone to see it's been a long time since I've I've used that size phone. Like, oh maybe I could go back to the middle size phone. And again, it's like, boy, do I hate this size. This size for me is just the exact wrong size. I really don't like it. Um, so yeah, I find myself in this funny position of this is the first time Apple has released a generation of phone that I feel like I am unconvinced to switch products. I understand what you're saying, Mm -hmm. but I don't agree with what you're saying. Convince me I'm wrong. Well, no, I mean, because that is a fool's errand. (laughs) But I mean, like, I'd be happy to buy another phone if you could, like, if you could convince me, obviously I'd be happy to buy it. My point here isn't to convince you. Mm -hmm. It's just to state my opinion. Like, I understand what you're saying about most skippable Mm -hmm. on the surface of it. But I think that a lot of the component parts that they've changed make this as compelling an iPhone upgrade as any other. Mm -hmm. But by not changing the design... The, like the actual hardware design, it taints it in people's mind for one reason or another. And for you, that is, you want something physically smaller to hold. So that's yeah. your issue. If if they would have done what everybody expects them to do next time, which is to reduce the bezels, mm-hmm. this would have been a perfect phone for you. Because, I mean, when you break it down, the screen is way brighter and has the, a wider color gamut like what we're used to on our iPads. Mm-hmm. The camera is significantly better no matter what one you go with, including mm-hmm. the front-facing camera. It is incredibly more powerful. It has longer battery life, has stereo speakers, um, waterproofing. Like, there is a ton of stuff here which is very interesting, which I think makes for a b- bigger than an S update would usually be. Um, mm. But the fact that it's in the same kind of hardware case, by and large makes it a less compelling phone for you. like Because I think that no matter what they did, unless they would have made it smaller, you would never have bought it. Because I mean, that's they a, have all of the hmm. parts here that would usually make you upgrade. Yeah, the camera is by far and away the biggest draw. Right? That, that, that's, that's the thing that's the biggest pull. Uh, 
the the waterproofing is like well i've never really had a problem with water around my phone i don't take my phone to the beach because i don't like to go to the beach but now you can yeah but i'm not gonna go to the beach with my phone so like for example i listen to podcasts in the bath and in the shower right you can just have your phone in the shower cubicle with no problem yeah but see like i think you don't understand how i prefer not to use my phone like I, I, I wouldn't want to bring my phone into the shower with me, even if it was waterproof. That Again, not a thing I would I'm, want to do. I'm really, I have to underscore the point that I'm not trying to explicitly convince you. Right, right, right. Right. I'm just making my case. I know, I know what you're saying. And I, I agree that I think people overvalue a physical design change. That people just like that it looks different. You know, and that's just that's a thing that humans value, and that that's totally fine. And I think that that does add a bit to the underwhelmingness of it. But it's interesting that that for me anyway, this is a point at which I would want a physical design change, not because I feel like oh, this phone looks old, but because I want a design change that would be a utility improvement. And it's like oh, I'm in this I'm in this awkward position of the size that I like is. Too like too big around the screen and too heavy around the screen, and like I said, su- I suspect I, I don't I don't know, but I've, I've the more I think about it, I have a f- I have this like nagging feeling that maybe the iPhone SE was a one off device that maybe Apple won't ever make a phone in this size again, and. Part of that is just wondering about if next year they bring in the bezels and bring it a lot closer to a piece of glass, that maybe they decide that this is enough of a change that people who want smaller phones are also happy, but everybody still gets big screens. And it may very well be the case that if they bring in the bezels, like, oh, then I will find the regular size totally acceptable. But so I, I, I think I may be using a dead phone, which is even more of a push for me to like, I always feel like I'm happy to kind of get on board with the future. And if this phone is a phone that will never be updated, then why don't you just get used to the different thing now instead of waiting until you absolutely have to? Like, I'm, I'm okay with that. But even still, I just don't, I don't feel the desire to have the 7 Plus in my pocket when I'm at the gym for the next year, right? Which is one of the places where the phone bothers me the most in, in terms of size and, and using it. Or like, just just a bunch of places where, where that is the case. But I don't know, I've been talking to a few people about whether they, like, because of course, you know, when you're known as the tech person in your circle, everybody asks you the questions about should they or should they not get the things. And I, I find this a difficult phone to pitch to people especially if they're just going for the regular phone size right like they have a a 6s and they know and they want to know if they should get the 7 and kind of talking through with them it's i feel like it's it's a little hard to point to a particular thing to be like this is an awesome reason why you should get this phone so that that's why like my tagline is most skippable phone ever so for Um, me again so i don't agree i think there are a lot of great reasons but I'm not pushing this one so hard on people because I also have to tell them that things are going away and I just can't be bothered to have that conversation with people. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing which we don't know at this point, uh, which is my particular uh, real side-eye 
at the at the phone and of course this we you know we don't know because they're not in our hands yet but man when they started talking about that solid state home button yeah it's gonna suck i have no <laughs> doubt it's gonna suck so bad i'm so upset about this that, that that's the thing to me which is like no matter how much you love a camera do you press the home button more than you use the camera it's like yes by a factor of a thousand <laughs> Right. And so if and when Apple produces their all glass, no bezel phone and there's some home button that you just have to get used to because there's no moving parts and Apple has finally achieved the dream. It's like, okay, fine, I'll move then. But that home button, like I just worry about the first generation of it with RSI issues. It's like that's the kind of thing where it's like I don't want to board the future if it's going to physically hurt. And I just... I haven't heard anybody say like, wow, this home button is really convincing in the illusion of its clicking. So that to me is one major, major potential downside to it. Like, I'll be super curious to go into an Apple store, probably if I'm near one on Friday, like I'll wander in just to see if I can, I can see what it actually feels like in person. But I'm not, I'm not holding out my hopes of like, oh boy, it's an amazing new home button that I'm going to click hundreds of times a day in a slightly uncomfortable way that will accelerate over time to greater and greater discomfort. Yeah, I'm I'm unconvinced about this. I Yeah. I'm just not sure yet. I I don't know if it's necessarily going to cause too much discomfort because it would just be like 3D touch which if I can set it super light. Like my 3D touch is at the lightest, mm. which means I barely have to do it. Um it basically like for me it just feels like I just need to rest my finger on the screen for a little longer than normal and 3d touch will activate mm-hmm. if i can do that then i'll be fine with it my feeling is just i know it's not going to be a satisfying click yeah the way it's described like people describing it as like the whole phone kind of shaking i don't like yeah. the sound of that it doesn't sound good at all but i'll find <laughs> out tomorrow terrible. i guess <laughs> but what about that sounds um, absolutely terrible what about the apple watch i know that you're a very happy apple watch user are you considering upgrading Oh yeah, that that for um, me was an instant buy. Well, see, this isn't for me. <laughs> I don't understand you anymore. Instant buy on the Apple Watch, of course. Why? Like that makes even less. Imi- I need you to try and explain <laughs> this to me then in a way that makes sense in your brain, because that doesn't make sense in mine. Okay, why why do you think it doesn't make sense? It's the same. Like nothing in there is like a must-have. It's the same stuff: faster processor, better waterproofing. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what's in the iPhone. It doesn't look any different. It's thicker. It's actually thicker. Mm-hmm. The battery life is better. Right. Well, what then? But what, what, what do you mean what? Like, I'm, I'm a very happy Apple Watch user. As I am a very happy iPhone user. <laughs> right, right. And so I feel like I do want the GPS in the wa- in the watch like that is definitely a feature that I want. I've been doing a bunch of running and in the theme of how can I remove the phone from the centrality of my life, the GPS while doing some exercise outside, that is actually a big feature for me. Like that is definitely a thing mm-hmm. that I want to have. So it's like tick mark for that one. And I'm also happier to pay for the much brighter screen. And a little bit of improved battery life. Like, that is one thing where, like, this summer in particular, I was aware that the, the, perhaps the least optimal situation in which to try to read the face of an Apple Watch is if you are standing in the desert at high noon with sunglasses on and you go to check something on your watch, 
it's going to be a real hard read on that screen. I understand that is perhaps the most suboptimal situation in which to ever read an Apple Watch. I like that standing in the desert at high noon makes it sound like you were on a vision quest. Maybe I was. <laughs> okay. While eating mushrooms also makes it very difficult yeah, to read yeah, the I'm face sure. of the Apple Watch. <laughs> it looks like a painting. Uh <laughs> But there are enough times, even just in the UK, I'm aware, like if I'm outside that the, that the watch face is not super easy to read in, in the sun. So it's like, okay, great. You made the screen brighter. It's a little bit easier to read. I am, I'm happy to go along with that. The, the waterproofing thing is not a huge deal for me because I don't do swimming. And I have already been wearing this watch for, you know, whatever it is, a year and a half in the shower without any problems at all. But I'm also feeling like, little faster with the processor i'm also happy for that so this is all thumbs up for me like apple watch better without any significant downsides i don't really care about the thickness i'm actually i, I wish apple would make a bigger apple watch uh i think they should have like a 40 what is it 44 millimeter version right because it's like 38 42 44 that's what i would want so i don't i don't mind the bigness at all so to me i see like no downside all upside no brainer New watch ordered. Delivered tomorrow, hopefully. You didn't convince me. I'm not trying to convince you, Mike. I'm just stating my point. <laughs> All right. So what are you going to do with your old watch then? You know, you have two watches. Now you have two watches on you. Okay. So I was wondering about this, right? I, it did occur to me like, oh, what am I going to do with two watches? I, I have no idea what to do with it. But I realized in a stroke of genius. Oh, God. But I do know what to do with two watches. Can you guess what I'm going to do with two watches, Mike? Are you going to charge one overnight and then put the other one on when you go to sleep? Bingo! <laughs> Day watch, night watch. And do you want to know why this is absolutely genius? Can I tell you? Can I tell you? Please the, thing tell that, the thing that really sold this to me okay. was, okay, so for, for listeners, just so you don't think I'm totally crazy, in case you're unaware, I am one of those people who sleeps with the Apple Watch because I discovered when I tried sleeping without a watch that nighttime Gray half wakes up and checks the time on his watch without daytime Gray ever knowing that this is an activity that occurs. So when I try to sleep without wearing a watch, like I did the first few times with the Apple Watch, I discovered that I wake up in the middle of the night wondering what time it is. Like, so obviously, sleepy me is actually checking the time, because if I wear the watch, this doesn't happen. So I have to wear a watch at night. Oh, wait, let me, let me go over that once more, because... I didn't fully understand it, but I think I caught it. Mm -hmm. You were, when you weren't wearing a watch, waking up and wanting to check the time. But then when you started wearing it again, you never had this feeling. Yeah, so when I bought the Apple Watch... Interesting. I put it on the nightstand, as you did, to charge it overnight. And I would wake up several times in the night. And, yeah, it took me a little while to figure out that if I wore the watch overnight... This didn't happen. But you were still waking up. It's not like the watch was keeping you asleep. It's just like, it's just like when you when you live with any other person, you, you see this interesting phenomenon that a person can be awake without really being fully booted up. Yep. Like, th like this is a thing that I find very interesting. Uh, <laughs> so I sort of, you know, joke with my wife about having some interaction with the other wife, right? Which is her not fully awake but like awake enough to kind of interact or like make a little request or something, but she's not conscious really. Yet. Yeah. I find that person to be a lot less polite. <laughs> there's a, there's a bunch of funny things with this, but so as and graces go out of the window. Yeah. Because you're dealing with 
Like the cerebral cortex isn't there. You're dealing with lower parts of the brain. And so I assume that this is what's happening with me while I'm sleeping, that I'm, I'm not fully booting up into consciousness, but some part of me is awake enough and wants to be aware of what the time is. And this also makes sense with the behavior that I, I've had for as, as long as I can remember is if I really focus on the time that I need to wake up in the morning, I can pretty often just wake up without the alarm clock. Like I can wake up before the alarm goes off. And I always used to wonder, like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, how can I keep track of time accurately for eight hours while I'm asleep? It's like, the answer is that I'm not. I, I think there's just what happens is some part of me is looking at the clock and is like, oh, right, this is when we wanted to get up. And now let's start the Buddha process into consciousness. Uh, so that's just that's just my guess about what's occurring. This is explaining the behavior because otherwise I wouldn't really have a reason to wear the watch at night. Like I don't, you know, I'm not I'm not doing like health tracking at night or anything, which I do think is something that Apple should build into the watch. Do you not that's do another that? story? Why would you not do that if you're already wearing it? Uh, because I I use uh, what's it called? I use Sleep Cycle on the phone as the as my sleep tracking thing because that is tied into an alarm that tries to predict the best time to wake you if you're not waking up automatically but it doesn't do anything through the watch it's it's on the phone only Hmm. and and it works really well but i think apple should build in sleep tracking into the watch but that means they need to expand the battery life significantly which i don't think they're going to do but i really think that they should do it anyway (laughs) so the one thing that did occur to me which is a little bit of a problem is that the apple watch is really bright at night like again when you're dealing with any source of light in a completely dark room it's suddenly very bright now i have a special nighttime face that i use uh have you ever seen my nighttime face mike i don't know if i have not at nighttime you. but you have shown me it in the daytime oh, okay i'll send you uh i'll send you a copy of what it looks like right now but so i have this nighttime face that i use but even then it can still be quite bright but so then i realized okay brilliant if i have two apple watches this is genius i'm going to solve two problems at once One of which is that when you do decide to sleep with the Apple Watch, you need to be aware of charging it more frequently during the day. So essentially, like if I take a shower or if there's some kind of little break, I'll throw the the watch on the charger for a little bit. And that's annoying. I don't really like to have to think about that. I, I want to eliminate the number of things that I ever have to think about. So if I have two watches, it's like, oh, great. I can just swap this where at nighttime I will pick up the watch that has been charging all day. And in the morning, I pick up the watch that has been charging all night. And then plus extra bonus, it means on the new watch, I can just set the brightness to maximum and never think about it. And on the nighttime watch, I can crank down the brightness two notches and never think about it because I'm not going to be wearing that watch during the day. So it'll be even dimmer at night. So boom, perfect solution. Two watches, day watch, night watch. Just, I don't understand you. Do you seriously not understand this? No, no, what I don't understand is the iPhone and Apple Watch argument. Like, why one is not new and the other is new. That I don't get. I really don't get that. Why don't you get that? I don't understand. Because... Yeah, see, you, you can't even articulate your thoughts. No, because like your your feeling about it, right? This is out of the show now because I can't be bothered to have this argument in the show. Like you're saying, it's the most skippable iPhone, right? 
and like even saying that like it's just like a categorical thing, mm-hmm. like not just a four gray. Right. It's like it's the most skippable. But the Apple Watch has the all of the enhancements of the Apple Watch mm-hmm. are exactly the same as the enhancements to the iPhone. Right. They didn't change the way it looked. Right. They made it thicker. They put more battery life in it. Right. They gave it a GPS, which I guess you could say is kind of like the camera. Yeah. Yeah. You could say that easily. Right. But like every every advancement is just the same as what the iPhone has. But yeah, for some reason, the iPhone is skippable, but the Apple Watch is not. Well, I feel like at this point, you're so consumed with your two watch idea. <laughs> <laughs> that, that it's made it a must buy <laughs> I think um, that's it I think I've cracked it you had this idea for two watches I, I hate to I hate to ruin this this scheming of yours here but I only thought of this idea after I had already pre-ordered the watch mm. I, I, did, I, don't so. get, I just don't I don't get it so, I think you've just got SE brain well it's your problem but there's also a question of are, are you asking if You didn't ask if I would give like a subtitle to the Apple Watch. And I think you could make easily the same argument that for consumers, the second generation Apple Watch, presuming that you already own an Apple Watch, is also the most skippable Apple Watch ever. I I think you could totally make that argument. But like th- that's why I think the the context of the phone argument is a little bit different because there's a bit of a presumption like everybody already has a phone and it's only a question of if they're going to get a new phone, right? The Apple Watch is a different sort of market, and I think for most people, if you already own an Apple Watch, there is almost certainly not a compelling reason to buy another Apple Watch, right? Like I like I got my um, I got my mom an Apple Watch as a present a while back for Mother's Day, and so I I before this. Uh, before the presentation, I just kind of assumed like, oh, I'm going to buy my mom another uh, Apple Watch as a present. After the presentation, I thought, but there's nothing in there that my mom needs or that really matters for her. So like I am skipping the Apple Watch for my mom because it'll make no difference to her if she has the Apple Watch 2 or the Apple Watch 1. Makes no difference. So I I think you can easily say Apple Watch 2, also most skippable Apple Watch ever. But I, but I personally want two of the features that are on the Apple Watch. Actually, three of the features. Battery life, brighter screen, GPS. And after having purchased it, realize that my two-watch idea is absolute genius. So for me, it's, a, it's just a total win. Total win in every way. I really hope tomorrow that I put that phone in your hand and you go, oh, shit. <laughs> that's see, what i hope i hope so too because i like i would rather have a thing that i think right. is better right yeah, like yeah yeah, yeah i get you there's no there's no downside in that to you me. don't want to be proved actually you want to be proven wrong right like ideally yeah exactly it'd be great <laughs> what you really don't what you really don't want is for me to put that phone in your hand tomorrow and you go yeah great was right that's exactly it i yeah. i do not want to be right when i see it tomorrow i want nothing more then on the next episode of Cortex to be telling you about how much I love the iPhone 7 Plus. That is optimal outcome is when we record the next show, we have a whole big section about how two weeks ago, Gray didn't know what the hell he was talking about. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. Me too.